Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Very Distinctive Podcast, a leverage recap review podcast. I'm Maddie Ballista. I can be found on Twitter at Runaway Ballista. And I'm Alexis. You can find me on Twitter at Alexiorsays. Today, in this episode, we are tackling the next two episodes of season one, which are the two-horse job and the Nigerian, or not the Nigerian job, the miracle job. Two-horse job and the miracle job. Two-horse job being a highly anticipated one from <laughs> several people. Yes. Uh, I have a reputation for being able to talk about horses for a little while. So I think before we get into the episode that you should talk about your background with horses for our, for our <laughs> listeners' benefit. Well, long story short, I never grew out of the crazy horse girl phase, and I have been working in various farms and barns and stables in order to pay for riding lessons since I was, I don't know, 12 years old. Um, So while I do not own a horse, I have lots and lots of hands-on experience. Yeah, and I mean, it's from what I understand about about horses as a thing, as a lot of people who love horses don't actually own a horse because they're expensive as shit. Oh yeah, it's impossible. <laughs> yeah, and so and this actually gets addressed in in the very beginning of this episode, actually. So the summary of the two-horse job is the team travels to Kentucky to help a horse trainer who lost everything when the racehorses he trains were killed in a fire, which is terrible. It's already... Yeah, it there were nine dead. I'm like, Nine oh, no. dead and one left alive, and it's a very dramatic barn fire opening. <laughs> and the guy who uh, they're helping out explains to Nate that most trainers don't have the money to train their own horses because they're so expensive, but they got this job because Elliot, quote unquote, knew the family. We find out very quickly that knew the family means that he had a thing with the trainer's daughter. Instantly, we're seeing like a lot of tension between them. The second the two of them are on screen together, it's like, oh no, this did not end well. It's such like country drama too. Like, <laughs> I love every episode that's like, by the way, Elliot's a country boy. When they're talking about the job with um, the guy that they're helping out, Willie, you know, his daughter comes in and she gives Elliot this whole like, oh, it's you. I never thought I'd see you again because apparently he walked out on her. Elliot doesn't have a lot of, you know, emotional um, longevity, I think, with people. <laughs> they mentioned that there had been a promise ring involved. So this oh, is really yeah. a, 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 a very on-the-nose little small-town country romance. It really is. They have He has such an awkward conversation with Nate about it. But Willie explains that, you know, in order to try and maybe actually get to own a horse of his own someday, he took on a... He basically let some Wall Street jackass in who offered a 10% ownership for the horses that he was training. But because the horses weren't, you know, performing to his liking, it is heavily suspected that this guy is the reason that they set the barn fire. So you could get the money back via insurance. Yeah, he's trying to do horse insurance fraud, which is just terrible because it involves murdering nine horses. It so does. I personally am upset. It does. And you know what's really upsetting is that line where Willie's like, in a fire, Mr. Ford, the horses scream. Yeah. And it's like, oh, oh it's so <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> it is uncomfortable. Now, to be fair, horses scream all the time for no good reason. But still, I don't like thinking about it. I don't really like the, thinking about horses screaming, period. <laughs> it's not... I'm... Per, yeah, I'm... I don't hate horses. 
But I, I don't trust You're them. closer to Parker here than to Elliot. I am, yes, I really am. Um, I don't love horses. Uh, it's funny because my girlfriend went to a yuppie-ass Quaker school where she got to take horseback riding as a gym credit. Nice. Yeah, so, like, she loves horses. But once we were, we were in Old City in Philadelphia doing the, you know, it's a very historical district. And they have horse-drawn carriage tours. Of course. And and they're very charming. And we took one, and the tour guide was so nice. And then she was like, do you want to feed the horse? And put a carrot in my hand. And I was like, I do not. <laughs> like, I don't want to. will eat my hand off. I don't want to put my hand anywhere near this thing's mouth. Now, listen, I've known a lot of horses in my life. I've probably worked with hundreds of horses. I only know one that's ever bit somebody's finger off. It's just, it's, <laughs> their, their teeth are so large. so you are a lot like parker because we we find out a few minutes into this episode that parker is afraid of horses and her rationale is i once saw a horse kill a clown so this does sound a little bit like maddie right now (laughs) and like to be fair that's immediately followed up with a flashback to like a child's party (laughs) she was at as a little kid where a guy like two like third rate party entertainers a guy dresses a horse beats the crap out of a clown and it's like, but I do relate to you, Parker. Like, I don't trust them. <laughs> but uh, so so Willie says, you know, Nate offers to get some of the money back to the insurance payout. This, and of course, you know, they're talking about the insurance investigation. This was your old job, Nate. Hey. Yeah, of course, we got to bring the old insurance thing into it. Tie that oh, into yeah. it somehow. And this is such a good episode for that. But Willie doesn't want the money back. He just wants the last surviving horse, Baltimore. And for Foss, the Wall Street jackass, to never work in the horse business again. Yeah, so you know, this this guy's really in it for the right reasons. He's got his heart in the right place. He wants he wants to make sure horses don't get mistreated again. So we've got a good guy on our hands. Oh, absolutely. And the clients usually are. And so this kind of, this is one of those episodes, and this becomes a growing trend in Leverage, where they're like, we'll get you the money. And the person's like, I don't want the money. I want something else. And it's usually like, well, this is a lot harder. <laughs> but okay, we'll make it happen for you. So Hardison gives them the rundown on Foss, the the mark for this. And he's your typical multi-million dollar hedge fund manager that nobody likes, loves high stakes poker. Literally looks like a rat, could have played Peter Pettigrew in the Harry Potter movies oh, and I would have bought it. I know, right? His teeth. <laughs> like we were talking about last time, like they do a great job of casting evil looking villains. They do. I mean, they just find the oiliest, shittiest looking like white dudes. Ugh, and so it's gross. amazing. And I, I just have a, a note on this scene where they're where like, you know, Hardison's giving the rundown in the TV room. And I forget sometimes that Elliot actually wears glasses. <laughs> and it's such a weird look for him. And of course, we find out who has the insurance policy on these horses. That's right. Nate's old boss, IYS. Of course. Because it's all uh, circling back there. I have a feeling that in maybe a couple episodes, maybe a couple seasons, we're going to get some kind of big tie-in with all this. Season one is very good for that. It's, <laughs> you'll, 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 be, you'll be very satisfied. And so Hardison, bless him. He goes through a lot of trouble with these presentations, and nobody respects his efforts. I like, know. He's he's 
I, I had made a remark last time that Hardison had like all these fancy pre-rendered animations that were going on and like all the different parts blowing apart. He had these beautiful movies and he's finally saying, hey, guys, look how much work I'm putting into these. Please appreciate. <laughs> like Hardison, I think, is actually maybe the most underappreciated member of this team because they do appreciate him, but he does so much. Yeah, he gets appreciated for being, like, the cool tech guy, but not for the graphic designer and the artist and the guy who puts together all the presentations. He's so creative. And and this is kind of the, we're hitting the part of the show where they're still getting comfortable in their roles, both as good guys and as, like, long-term teammates. So there's so much of the squabbling and, like, like Parker, like, raising her hand and being like, I don't feel well. I want to get out. I don't want to do it. <laughs> Can I be excused? <laughs> She's hating the whole horse side of the story. She already doesn't like this. So, um, and now we get to the grift, which is, oh, so much fun. So we first see Sophie all dolled up as a southern belle at the racetrack. And she lures this guy into a super high stakes poker game by basically saying, oh, you're not good enough. You're not rich enough. And he's like, of course I'm rich enough. I'm, I, I'll play anything. Yeah, it's so good. And like, and she poses as a, as a bloodstock horse agent specifically, too. Oh, I know. She was scaring me here because she was telling such easily checkable lies. She was saying, <laughs> oh, I did the sale on so-and-so and so-and-so. Well, you could just call someone out on that. It's easy to find out who actually did that. But that's what they have Hardison for. Of course. <laughs> and she's, she's such a good player that nobody even questions it. She just goes right along. They just go right along with it. That really is one of the things that makes Sophie such a good grifter is like her conviction is such that people are like, I mean, people often do fact check her, but like they're so inclined to take her at her word because she's so confident. But yeah, they lure her into this high stakes poker game. And what's great now is we see like the whole cast of characters. Yeah, we have everybody other than Parker in here playing poker together with this scumbag. Yeah, and Elliot poses as like a trainer, like a big trainer. Hardison is a wealthy sheik. Just cuz. Why not? And uh, Nate, Nate does, this is, my favorite thing is that Nate, when he plays roles in Grifts, he almost always plays the kind of character that he thinks is going to be the most repulsive or obnoxious to the mark. Oh, and he's... He's always repulsive. He he is repulsive. I remember in the homecoming job, he was being this obnoxious tourist who was uh, yelling at everybody for not giving him directions. And now he's being this guy who's like, oh, I got so much money. You don't even have as much money as I got. Ugh. <laughs> um, in the homecoming job, it's like really low key repulsive. And here it's like, oh, yes, because Nate and Sophie have this, have this amazing push and pull game that they do. With Marks, whenever they're both on the grift, which they usually are. Yes. And so he plays a horse owner who supposedly owns the only surviving horse from a horse massacre in China. We'll get into it in a couple minutes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure I'm, I'm waiting for what you have to say about that. So, and so what's what's great is that, you know, the the team goes through all this trouble to get, like, blacklight readable poker cards so they can cheat this guy out of his money. Like, they go through insane lengths. And also, like, the lady who was the dealer in that room, she wasn't one of them, so I have no idea. Oh my gosh, I know. I made a note saying, poker dealers must know everything. Like, the the kinds of things that go on in these little rich people back rooms, they must be the smartest people in the world. Yeah, and and I honestly want to know what they told her, is really what's interesting to me. So, of course, you know, the, the point of this game is so that they can 
get force Foss to bet Baltimore, win, and then give Baltimore back to Willie. It's like, oh, this is easy. It's no problem. And of course, Foss throws them a curveball by being like, oh, hey, I bought a I bought a pack of cards in the gift shop. Can we just play with those? It's no problem, though. We have uh, we've got a whole big team on our side, and we use all sorts of magic technology to cheat our way through the game. I mean, it's great because they have to rely on good old sleight of hand. Oh my gosh, it was it was wonderful. I I wanted to know how long the team had practiced card tricks for before they did this because it's so perfectly choreographed and well rehearsed. It's so good, and I mean, like they're improvising technically too, and and so it was one of the greatest pleasures of the show is just watching all of the sleight of hand that they do. Oh, it's so satisfying. Like I love when when Sophie and Parker lift Foss's wallet in the bar when Sophie's distracting him, and I can't get over Parker's thigh holster credit card scanner. <laughs> so good i want one of those (laughs) after the poker game we've got the horseback and we hear the words we're done and then you look down at the bottom of your computer screen and we're only 11 minutes into the episode (laughs) so we know we're not done (laughs) we are super not done my other favorite thing about that poker scene before we move on is nate calling foss jersey boy (laughs) 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 and how and like and foss is so mad because they do succeed in getting getting the promissory note with Baltimore on it, but he's so mad at the end of the of the thing that he literally throws the cards at Nate and like storms out. It's pathetic. I don't want him associated with New Jersey. Please, please, I don't want this. I mean, okay, he's not the worst thing to have been associated with New oh, Jersey. Oh God, I know. I'm don't sorry know to it. say. <laughs> I mean, I like I. I like parts of New Jersey just fine. It's a good place, Maddie. It's a good place. I listen. I've been to Teaneck. That was not a good place. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I like the shore just fine, okay? I'm down with the shore. So we we get outside and we see in a car pull up. I'm sorry. I have no idea what this guy's name is in this show. I can only call him Romo Lampkin because I've watched Battlestar Galactica like eight times. <laughs> it's Mark Shepard doing his usual thing, playing James Sterling, who is Nate's old investigation partner from IYS who sees Nate and assumes that he's trying to basically slide under what Sterling is doing and get his old job back because you know Nate's drinking destroyed his marriage and his career and and Nate's like okay no seriously I'm not here to get my job back but Sterling is a very smart guy and he doesn't seem to get the full scope of what's going on but he knows that there's something up Sterling definitely doesn't know the story, but I also wrote down, he smells something. He's on to this. He's a really smart guy, is the thing. And Sterling's a great, I love, he, like, you want to punch him so much, but I love him as a character on the show. And so Nate is trying to give Sterling the brush off, but now Sterling cares more about what Nate is doing than the actual investigation. So he lets out, he goes, well, you know what? I actually think I like the horse trainer better for the fires than the investment banker. So indicating that he's going to try and pin the fraud on Willie, who cannot afford it. Sterling is becoming kind of like an inspector Javert. He cares less about what he was actually hired to do and doing the job than getting back at this other guy for his own whatever reasons. Yeah, my exposure to Les Mis is like really, um, is very scatter and mostly via osmosis through fandom RP. <laughs> I won't I... digress too much here, but I do understand the, that reference. <laughs> Honestly, I don't even know where to go with that. <laughs> <laughs> I could I could get into it, but I won't. I will spare you. So yeah, he he's now basically hooks Nate right back in with 
talking about how he, he's going to actually see if he can put the fraud on Willie because he just wants to see what Nate's up to. And Nate knows that they just can't give Baltimore to Willie and walk away because then it makes it look bad. Um, so they have to come up with a new con, one that Sterling somehow will not recognize. And they go with the Lost Air con. Discussing all of this, we end up back in Willie's office with the crew and it's pretty clear that he does not want to be in the middle of this whole children's drama because Elliot and Willie's daughter who had you know this past story are kind of going at it a little tit for tat with each other oh yeah they are (laughs) everybody else is just kind of like okay okay kids come on calm down it's just oh Elliot Elliot and the girls it's a problem and and I just, it's so classic country horse ranch drama. I love it so much. <laughs> and it's just, and she makes, oh God, she makes a comment at some point where she's like, oh, I guess I have a thing for men with one foot out the door. And it's like, oh, honey. <laughs> Calm down. Everybody's oh, honey. so dramatic here. <laughs> and so, yeah, they decide to go with a lost air con. And I have a note here that just says, once again, Hardison is the most underappreciated graphic designer. Oh, he absolutely is. Oh, here, I, I did find my first little bit of, okay, what's going on with these people shooting a horse show who don't know anything about horses? <laughs> we have a couple shots in the barn of a horse just, like, hanging out loose. There are a bunch of horses in stalls, and we got characters talking in the barn aisle. And there's just a horse standing there with nobody looking at it, with not not tied or anything. Just a horse in the middle of the barn. You know, just a set dressing. So that's the first of uh, much more to come. I, I, I can't help but note all the little horse, what are you doing? <laughs> so this is, this is a thing that you don't do with horses. No, you don't usually just leave them wandering around the barn unattended, no. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like that would be bad, somehow. So initially, we have this really great scene that I think showcases a lot more about um, Sterling in a very short period of time, where we have um, Hardison and Parker in the, in the techno van. Uh, near <laughs> Sterling's car in the parking lot. And, you know, he's got a smart car, so Hardison just starts fucking with his smart car, unlocking, locking him in the in the car, setting off He's alarms. got the alarm. He's yeah. got the wipers going. And, and Sterling looks so flustered for about 30 seconds. <laughs> and then he pulls what is a pretty admirably slick move and calls so the police good. and does his... He does his American accent, which always weirds my shit out. Because he sounds so nasal when he does it. And just talking about like, oh yeah, this black van, I heard screaming. Yeah, sure, they could have had guns. <laughs> and Parker makes the comment, he's like Nate. Evil Nate. Evil Nate. <laughs> just he's not wrong. So good. It's it's extremely satisfying for the thirty seconds that he's like trapped in his own car, but then it's a really it's a really good way of showing that he's actually a pretty formidable opponent. Yes, unlike the marks that they usually take on, and like I said, this is a, a lot a lot of their good grifter or bad grifter routine between Nate and Sophie, which is it's just it's so much fun to watch. But also, Foss has that like Wall Street horse revolution speech where he's like. And they're not going to know what, what hit them when New York money comes to town. And it's like, buddy, you need to slow your roll. Please. <laughs> Take a he Xanax. Has no idea what he's getting into. <laughs> Absolutely nothing whatsoever. Also, I'd like to point out, because we mentioned last episode, that 
Christian Kane, who plays Elliot, does all his own stunts, which is amazing. I'd, I'd like to note that all of the country music in this episode is also sung by Christian Kane because he's also oh a country singer. <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious. <laughs> he's also a country singer. I feel like I'm going to have to go back and watch it again now. That's hilarious. Yeah, you need to. I, I Actually, I'm not sure if it's every single track, but it's it's at least one of them, the one that plays over the end. Uh, oh, my it's de- God. Like, if you listen to him, it's definitely him. <laughs> and and honestly, like, you know, predictably, Amy and Elliot have this whole, like, so mad at each other, but definitely unresolved sexual tension. And there's just this incredible country riff as they start making out in the barn, which seems... <laughs> And again, I don't have horse experience. That seems like the least pleasant place to, like, make out. I've never made out randomly in the barn like that, but I've slept in the barn a bunch of times. You get used to it. Okay, but would you fuck in a barn? Mm, uh, I'm not going to make a hard ruling on that. <laughs> I don't like that you're hesitating on this. <laughs> okay, wow. I guess my read on, on sex in bars is completely off. I'm making Look, a mental get, note you now. Get used to the, you get used to the dust. You get used to the dirt. It just seems so unsanitary. <laughs> I mean, I guess so much as, as fucking outside or similar to outside ever is. I don't know. It seems better than a beach to me. And a lot of people like the idea of a beach. That seems like my nightmare. Oh, no. I, I object strenuously to sex on beaches Ugh. because also it's the sand. How do you get any fucking, like, traction? Yeah. You're just, it, you're just all slipping everywhere the and then you have sand everywhere. Ugh. Ugh, gross. No. Yeah. Okay. I guess. I guess if I had to rank, <laughs> I would rank sex in a barn over sex on a beach. However, I feel like sex in a barn is a way less good drink than sex on a beach. True, but I'm also going to qualify it with it does depend on the barn because I once worked at a farm where there was a little old lady who ran the place, and she told me, "Oh, Lex, if you ever, uh, if you ever need to go to the bathroom and you don't want to come up to the house." I just drop trow over on the manure pile all the time. And when you hear <laughs> when you hear something like that, <laughs> it, it kind of throws your world into a new perspective, and uh, you can never look at anything the same way again. Sorry, I'm not over the phrasing "drop trow over the manure pile." <laughs> yeah, that's. That's how she was. <laughs> that, she sounds like a fucking delight, honestly. Uh, you would have loved her. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. So they decide to go with a fake horse that they're going to try and sell. Yeah, they're going to try and disguise their horse as a different horse. And the crux of their scam is that they're going to microchip this horse with a different numbered chip, I guess? Or, um make the chip read differently yeah what they what they did was they went and edited the bloodline information like on the website and then had a to a particular chip number um and so the idea was to like show foss the scanner with the chip number and then if he went and look when he looked it up he could see the blood the edited bloodline that hardison put in now this is kind of a weird scam this is kind of a weird way for them to do it because they say all horses are chipped Thoroughbreds in the United States haven't been required to be microchipped, have only been required to be microchipped since 2017. So this is a brand new rule. Prior to that, by and large, thoroughbreds were not microchipped, but all thoroughbreds are tattooed on the inside of their upper lip. If you want to bring a horse to a racetrack, even if they're not racing and they're just training, it has to have a jockey club ID on its inside upper lip. Oh, that's horrifying. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, I guess. 
I mean, I, I'm sure that there's a good reason why that works, but like, oh, that's an unpleasant image. <laughs> but that's interesting. I guess a, a tattoo would have been a lot harder to fake. Yeah. So it was it was odd that they chose this microchip route because they could have just looked at the ID tattooed on the horse's lip. And then I guess if they were editing databases anyway, just edited the detailing attached to that. Okay, well, I was going to say they do have to, they do have this issue where they're like, well, we can't pretend it's Baltimore because Baltimore is still recovering from the fire. So we need to steal another champion racehorse to fake, to sell a fake champion racehorse. That means they have to steal Kentucky Thunder, who is the, is introduced as the racehorse that Foss was kind of fond of betting on, who is a champion. And they kind of tip Foss off to this because one of the great things about getting Nate to play somebody scummy is that it gets the mark talking about him. Invariably. Of course. They start talking about the whole China, or the whole horse franchise. They started to, um, they started to try in China and then the government got a hold of it and apparently killed all the horses. And then like Elliot stops the go-kart that they're in really dramatically and goes, they killed 599. Oh my god, it's so dramatic. It's it's the most dramatic thing you've ever seen in your life. And I have a lot to say about please, that. Please, But before please. that, we actually breezed past a couple other little horse tidbits. Okay, let's go. <laughs> let's, let's, let's backtrack then. These are important. So first, first off, in case anybody was interested in trying the scam now that thoroughbreds are required to be microchipped, you still definitely can't. Because that microchip is not just stored in, like, a simple lineage database. That information is stored along with photographs of the horse, write-ups of the horse's various individual markings, the horse's tattoo number, which we already covered, and a DNA test. So horse fraud is very, very, very difficult, specifically in the thoroughbred world. (laughs) They make it look so easy, though. (laughs) So good luck with any of that. Um, And they briefly discuss like using various types of cosmetics to disguise these horses like painting on markings or things like that and people do that all the time in the real world just not usually for theft people will add a fake tail onto a horse to take it to a show or put some white paint on a marking to really make it pop it's a common thing oh that's nice to know that 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 part (laughs) isn't super far-fetched yeah no that that's uh that's true to life But if you're trying to cover up something like an entire marking on a face, you're usually going to be able to tell. It's mostly for, um, it's it's more like horse contouring than anything else. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, I can't wait for your um, beauty YouTube series on horse contouring. (laughs) Wait up for my uh, new line of products coming soon. And we do we do see a guy lunging. I guess is what he's supposed to be doing. He's he's spinning a horse around on like a. 10 meter lead shank and I have no idea what he's supposed to be doing he's got like a chain dangling between him and the horse and it's just a very unsafe look overall so I had to call that out your safety concerns are like a crux of this podcast (laughs) welcome to Alexis's safety corner (laughs) it's a really important segment Look, it's very important to be safe around horses. They're big, and they get scared of everything, and they can hurt you. I that's, I'm ter- I have a healthy terror of horses. Don't <laughs> worry. I, mm. I and, and, like, you know, I know a lot of people, like, they're like, oh, I don't like the smell. I have rabbits, which are not the same things as horses, but, like. But they eat hay. You they know. eat hay, and they poop. And, like, after after a certain point, like, if you let the litter box get gross enough, it's it starts to smell like a stable a little bit. <laughs> so, like, I can deal with, like, horse smells. It's just... Their mouths are so large. 
It's yeah, terrifying. they are. Have you ever stuck your arm all the way in a horse's mouth? No, I haven't. You definitely haven't, but I have. I know um, you have, and that terrifies me. Here's a fun horse fact that has nothing to do with this episode. Their teeth keep growing forever, like rabbits, oh, no. so they have to get them floated down by a farrier, which means they take a big metal file and rasp down their teeth. And in order to do that, they stick a giant speculum in the horse's mouth to hold it open. And when you've got a giant speculum in the horse's mouth, you can stick your arm up all the way past the elbow. It's great. Oh my god, that's fucking horrifying! (laughs) How does the horse feel about this? Most of them don't mind. Some of them try to kill you. But like 90% of them don't care that much. (laughs) That's that's a very... That's two ends of the spectrum right there. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Alright, so tell me... But tell me your feelings about... The, uh, the China horse murder conspiracy. Okay, so I don't know anything about the China horse murder conspiracy. Maybe. Maybe they murdered a bunch of horses. But there were a lot of other details in that story that really bothered me. First of all, they're saying this horse is born September 15th. I don't know why they had to choose out and call out a birthday. That wasn't necessary at all. But they said this horse is born September 15th. No racing thoroughbred ever has been born September 15th. Horses in general are generally born in the spring, and a thoroughbred racehorse's birthday is considered for documentation purposes to be January 1st. So a horse is said to gain a year, become a year older on January 1st every year. So if you had a horse born in seven, in September 15, on September 15th, they're going to be considered one year old when they're really only three months old. And you don't want your horse racing against three-year-olds when it's only two years and three months. So real thoroughbred breeders aim to have their horses foal as soon after January 1st as possible so they can have a leg up. Because horses are racing when they're very, very young, so they're still growing. So a couple extra months or even weeks of time to grow and mature a little bit is a big advantage. No thoroughbred is ever born September 15th. That's crazy talk. That's, that's really good to know. And I, I actually did, I did some brief research, and there actually was a horse race, a racehorse massacre in China. Like Really? Yeah, like, yeah. like a little over 10 years ago. Yeah, six hundred thoroughbreds were were um, were killed because of the Communist Party opposition to gambling. Or, or their, wow, their lack so that's of actually what they that's actually what they said in the episode. So they got that part right. Yeah, so I think they 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 were able to kind of pull from a real real world event. Which because some of the things in Leverage, it's like this could be real or it could be fake, and it's hard to tell. Sometimes. Yeah, because it's it's just so out there. So according to Elliot. One horse named Fake Kwai, which, as I understand, is Mandarin for fast. <laughs> but I, you know, oh I, I'm, I'm not going to pretend to. Um, at least I think it's Mandarin. I'll double, I'll double check on that. Anyway, he reveals that Nate or Gibson, whatever his Bob Gibson, I think is his alias in this episode. He reveals oh, I can't keep track. Uh, they some of their some they actually have some aliases that they use more than once, but for the most part they're throwaways. Um and he says that one of the horses is actually smuggled out and and it's the like it's basically like the the royalty of thoroughbred racehorses or yeah. whatever. And they, they say it's it's got like this wonderful royal pedigree and I can't help but laughing because I'm hearing these names that anybody who has had any interaction with thoroughbreds has heard a million times. They say the the pedigree has native dancer, ward ad, war admiral, and secretariat. 
which is hilarious because virtually every thoroughbred, especially on the East Coast, that you're ever going to meet has Native Dancer, War Admiral, and Secretariat. (laughs) I have ridden dozens of horses with all three of those names in their pedigree, and most of them were like $200 horses that somebody (laughs) left in their backyard. This is not an impressive thing to say. (laughs) It sounds impressive if you don't know shit about horses. When a, when a thoroughbred makes a lot of money and it's a stallion, what you do is you take that horse and you breed it to as many other horses as possible and get really, really rich off of stud fees. So they say Native Dancer um, is one of the names. Native Dancer is possibly the single most influential thoroughbred sire on the East Coast as far as breeding goes. Every single horse, every single thoroughbred I've ever met, I think, has Native Dancer at least once in its pedigree. War Admiral, I actually looked this up because I wanted to see like how common some of these names were in pedigrees. War Admiral appears eight times in American Pharaoh's pedigree. That's the uh, most recent winner of the Triple Crown, Kentucky Derby, uh, Belmont Stakes, and Preakness horse races. And Secretariat is the number one leading blood sire in North America. So saying that he's got all these names in his pedigree is really not saying much. <laughs> I'm realizing now that I'm like cracking up over this and everyone else is probably listening like okay, great. <laughs> no, it's so unli- it's so enlightening. Like I was like, "Oh man, I cannot fucking wait to record this episode because it's just going to be so many Alexis horse, horse facts and it's what I want." I did I did uh Google it real quick and it is Pequite is Mandarin for like really fast. So this royalty of horses or whatever and so, you know, Elliot plays this whole, like, oh, I don't really like Bob Gibson either, but, uh, you know, the usual lip service they pay to the mark. And so Foss gets really excited about how he wants to buy this horse from from Nate. And then Elliot has to fucking slap it with Foss. And he looks so <laughs> long-suffering. He just, he doesn't want to be here. Also, I know we were talking about how Foss has, like, this very rat-like face he also has a terrifying horse smile it's yucky he does he's got a yucky face it's bad his teeth are so large so then they meet with they they have a setup to meet with foss and they pull an incredible bullshit con which is where they grab hardison takes an airport writes a very common chinese surname on it and then stands at the security gate and basically kidnaps some people yeah, they kidnap a couple of tourists to kind of, and like, oh, these are the actual owners of Fei Kwai. And, you know, apparently Sophie, among other things, speaks flawless Mandarin. And they're having like a fake negotiation with Foss. Yeah, she's interpreting and she's telling Foss like, oh, yeah, yeah, they're saying such and such about this deal that you're offering. Whereas the tourists are just hearing, oh, would you like to take a nice picture with the horses? Yeah, and it's like, oh, oh, he likes your shirt. Where did you get it? And it's, and what, what, I mean, like, what's interesting about it, not as much her, like, linguistic ability, which is pretty impressive, but her ability to select the kinds of questions and responses that are going to elicit the kind of responses that she needs the mark to see. Yeah, she wants the right body language to come out. Exactly. And so that's what's, I mean, more than, like, the fact that she speaks this language, that's really what's impressive to me. And so they totally sell thoughts on this. But then there's a complication. And we find out that this 
one Chinese girl who Hardison complains that she's repeatedly had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Constantly. And she has a camera. It turns out that Sterling somehow intercepted them at, earlier and has been paying her to take photos for him. To, at, for what Nate is up to. So he's getting his, he's continually getting his nose He wasn't things. about to just uh, give up when Nate decided to uh, run off or whatever. Like, Nate changed the plan, but so did Sterling. Sterling's still on his tail. Oh, yeah. And Sterling's hook with the, with that, with the Chen family is, like, impeccably smooth. It's really satisfying to watch, even though it's like he's, like, working against the home team. It's like, oh, man, that was pretty good. Meanwhile, they're trying to get to Kentucky Thunder because, oh, no, Snafu, he's being taken off to be bred. See, like I said, farm. when the horse has uh, won a bunch of money, you take it and you breed it as much as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And so they're like, oh, shit, we need we need this horse or else our con will fall apart. Elf Parker is, like, complaining about wriggling through the air ducts, like, Oh my god, like, she doesn't love it. Like, she doesn't love it and as if anyone else is even small <laughs> enough to do it. She's, she's in her element when she's crawling through tiny little air ducts and scaling buildings. Don't whine about it. <laughs> and, I mean, Parker starts out as very anti-horse. <laughs> but she has, a mo- she has a moment here where she drops into Kentucky Thunder's Stall. Stall. Yeah. And Amy explains that he's about to be teased, which I think we all know what that means. I mean, yeah, I guess you can get the idea. But um, it's specifically so that... Okay, I don't need to go into detail. I think you all get the idea. (laughs) (laughs) I I think we know... I think we can all infer... Generally speaking, what being teased entails yeah. on a stud farm. But I, like, I really got to give Parker props here because I don't want to be locked in a stall with a stallion who's about to be teased. Like they get, they get rough and tough. I don't, I don't want to be locked in there. <laughs> She's like really uh, understandably like, um. But then she has a magic. And she horse pets moment. this horse, and it's adorable. And I was thinking, if I didn't know this was like a horse actor who is on sets and stuff doing dumb things all the time, I would say this horse was drugged out of its mind because it's just standing there, like, okay, <laughs> you're gonna pet me now, and its ears are like falling off its head. <laughs> oh well, that's a great, that's a great image. So they have to get Kentucky Thunder back in time for Foss to try and, and, and make, you know, to inspect the horse and make the deal. And if they're running, their timing is running so close. And Sterling's getting his nose up in things. And so they need to, they, they basically steal Kentucky Thunder. Oh, it's so Thunder stressful. Into and they a get trailer. stuck in traffic. There's nothing so worse stressful. than being stuck with a horse in traffic. It's They get terrible. into an accident, too. Um, I've been I've been stuck with four horses in two trailers in the middle of downtown Trenton with a flat tire. And let oh me tell you, it's a mess. I was I was feeling so stressed and so bad for them here. And then Elliot goes ahead and unloads this horse in the middle of traffic and hops up on it with no saddle or anything. This is a good way to get yourself killed. It's one thing to like trust your horse a lot. It's another thing entirely to take your horse out in a very scary situation. A thoroughbred who's been racing its whole life has never seen pretty much anything in the world and is going to be afraid of everything. That's how they all are. And he's just riding off, like, dodging traffic, and I am about ready to shut down my computer because I can't handle this. 
<laughs> like, okay, I don't know that much about horses, except for questions that I've asked you for research purposes. But even I know, even I was like, oh, okay, Elliot's just going to ride this horse bareback all the way back to the stables. Like, sure. Okay, have fun with your eternal thigh <laughs> chafing. Like, that's, that sounds like it's going to be a painful. Rider, you can ride bareback as long as you need to ride. It's It's not that big of a deal. The bigger deal is the fact that this is a stallion who's never done anything other than race in his whole life, so he probably doesn't even steer that well. Most off-track horses, you have to kind of teach them how to steer, because all they do is go in a big circle forever. <laughs> and just, like, in the middle of traffic, he has no idea what's going on. Ugh, it's it's just such a bad situation. It's so, so it's so stressful. And um, I just have one note here that says, you can tell this is a late aught show because of all the blackberries that people carry. <laughs> <laughs> and that, like, not as many people have Yeah, nobody iPhones. has those anymore. Oh, and the horse is already bridled. Was did they, Were they just carrying the horse around in the trailer in a bridle to stud? Why? When are you going to ever get a know. bridle at stud? Unless it's for, like, a photo. But you would already have taken that photo, and it shouldn't already be on the horse while it's trailering. That's insanely dangerous. This is just a mess. Wait, okay, okay. Explain to me. Why is bridling a horse oh, okay. while it's in a trailer dangerous? So here we go. <laughs> There's <laughs> two different things you can put on a horse's face to lead it around. There's a bridle and there's a halter. A bridle is used for riding. A halter is used for not riding. They are basically the same. They are just a bunch of straps that go around the horse's head, um, like under the chin, down to the sides of the face, around the nose. And the difference is that a bridle has a bit, which is the piece of metal that goes in the horse's mouth Mm -hmm. that the reins attach to that you use for steering and other things. A halter, which is used for tying a horse to the wall or for leading the horse from the field or whatever, it does not have a bit. You never ever want to tie a horse in a bridle because if they are to get startled and pull back and spook, they will pull on that bit and they can really hurt themselves very badly. So you would never load a horse in a trailer with a bridle because there's such a huge possibility of it getting injured. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. That sounds like a safety concern. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so so they do, are, what they wind up doing is they do get Kentucky Thunder back, but they do, they do a really fun, like, ball in, ball in a cup kind of swap around <laughs> here, where they not only have Kentucky Thunder posing as fake Kwai, they also have Baltimore posing as Kentucky Thunder. Oh, it's wild. For they the swapped purpose around of the chip scan. They swapped around all the name tags on the stalls and they got the people coming into the barn purposely disoriented and they moved around all the horses. So I'm not even following what horse is supposed to be called what horse at this point. It's It's actually pretty confusing. It's crazy. Like if you stop and watch it, it's you can follow it, but they they do a lot of bait and switching in this episode. So it's actually fairly confusing because the issue is like Oh, if he takes an actual chip scanner and holds it to that horse, like, he's not going to get the number that we need him to see for this, you know, fake chip scanning thing. But they save the day, and they they not only, um, so they save the day specifically because Foss buys, quote-unquote, fake Y, who actually turns out to be Baltimore in the end. It's so confusing. And then tries to insure him for a fuck ton of money. Yeah, so he's got a bunch of he's got a bunch of investors and insurance guys with him when he tries to do it. So they're all saying, "Wait a second, this is the same horse you tried ten minutes ago to insure for like nothing, and now you're trying to insure him for a billion dollars." I think something's a little fishy here. It's like that's insurance fraud. So they manage to save the day. Everybody gets what they want in the end. And like the the other in, um, Wall Street investors who are there with Foss, they look like they're going to fucking eat him alive. And it's great. Like, 
I hate all of them, but this guy's in a fucking shark tank right now. Willie gets Baltimore back. There's no insurance fraud investigation over his head. And I love how he's like, next horse I get, I'm naming him Mr. Ford. And I just have in my notes, please don't. <laughs> please don't. Oh, there are a lot worse racehorse names out there. I gotta send you a list sometime. I knew a horse I knew a horse once named I'm Hateful. I think that's my favorite <laughs> my favorite racehorse oh, name. I've seen like lists of of horse names. <laughs> Uh, I actually think because I went and, and and pulled one up because I was I was I had some characters of the horses for something or whatever and I needed some ridiculous horse names and I was like wow these went above and beyond my expectations <laughs> frankly for for like ridiculous horse names <laughs> I'm hateful is a really good one though she Jesus. was she was hateful it was true so do do horses like have have names like that do they have like a call name like dogs do yeah usually when you have a racehorse or a registered horse of any breed not just a th- or a thoroughbred they'll have like a fancy show name that usually has something to do with the farm that bred them or their lineage or something like that and then they'll just have a normal name that you call them like i'm hateful's yeah. name was lee we just called her lee um but her, you know, her fancy show halter and everything said, I'm hateful on them. <laughs> <laughs> so what's great is that the uh, the ending scene of this, after like, oh, yay, we saved the day, everyone's fine, is we get this really ominous and poorly lit conversation between Sterling and Nate. Oh, yeah, Sterling is in their building. He's in their house now. I feel so uncomfortable. <laughs> he's, he's, invas- he's invading their personal space. Yeah, I didn't like that one bit. No, he's, this job, this show does a very good job of making you hate Sterling right off the bat. Yeah. Or at least resent him. Like, stay away from my family, yeah, you bitch. Yeah, exactly. And we have a very classic, I won't be so nice next time, neither will I, <laughs> closer. There is more to come with Sterling. So, what I want to know is, aside from the slew of horse facts that you so graciously provided us <laughs> with, did you have any other safety concerns for this episode? No, I think I, I hit on my main safety points as we were going. Um, <laughs> if you want me to find some more, I'm sure like those eight weren't enough. But I, I did have a lot of problems between the loose horse and the lunging on a chain shank that was like 10 meters long, way too small. You're going to ask for joint injury there. Um, riding around bareback in traffic without a helmet. Oh, come on, always wear a helmet. <laughs> Um, just a mess. Just a mess. This whole episode. It's a mess. A mess of a job. And and I and I do like by the end of the episode too. Amy and Elliot finally reconcile, and she's like, "All right, maybe I need to let go of this anger." And she says to him, "I'm just glad you found a family." And he goes, "What? Those guys? Like, yes, Elliot. That's your family, <laughs> you <laughs> asshole. Cool. We're all here because you're family, and you don't even know it yet." Oh. I, what I really love about Elliot is he's actually a very emotionally intelligent person. He just doesn't show it a lot of the time. Yeah. But he's so much of his job prior prior to, to joining the leverage team, but just in general, so much of his job is looking not as smart as he actually is. Because <laughs> it's like, what do you expect from a bruiser? Not a whole lot. But it turns out Elliot's actually insanely smart. Yeah. It's terrifying. I also love Elliot giving the scouts honor salute with the wrong hand to Nate. <laughs> I didn't even notice. It's right, right at the beginning of the episode when Nate's like, is this going to be a problem for you? And Elliot goes, scouts honor, and Nate just goes, wrong hand. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, so it looks like we actually managed to talk our entire runtime just about this episode, which was not our intent. But we had a lot to say about, well, Alexis had a lot to say about horses. It was really important. I'm sorry. I promise I won't go on horse rants every time. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, there's only so many episodes about horses. So contrary to what we previously stated, next episode we'll be tackling the Miracle Job. Which is also a good one, but no horses. A, a great episode. And what's the episode after that? Let me see. Oh, okay. It's the Miracle Job and the Bank Shot Job, both of which are great episodes. So um, sorry about that. <laughs> Enjoy your horse facts. Yeah. And um, here's Alexis with this week's charity. So there are a couple charities that specifically cater to retired racehorses because, like I mentioned earlier, horses are raced when they are two, three, four years old and generally are retired from the track by five. Horses will generally live to around 20 years old, so this is a lot of life left in the horse. And the race owners generally aren't interested in paying to feed and keep and maintain a horse for those unuseful years, especially if the horse is a gelding, which can't breed, or a mare that can only breed one foal a year maximum. There's just not a lot of money in that. Yeah, which I actually did not know about that, that like the the tenure for a racehorse is so short. Yeah, they start them very, very young. Because that's, you know, when they're the most athletic and the most fast, but that means they're also still growing. So when you put a lot of really, really stressful training on a horse, because they're, you know, running as fast as they physically can, it does a number on their joints and their ligaments and their muscles. And generally they won't stay sound much longer than that. So if they were to keep racing any longer, not only would they get slower because they're getting older, but they would get hurt all the time. So it's pretty uncommon for a horse to go much longer than that, although it does happen. So these horses, these charities that I looked into are the Retired Racehorse Project and Thoroughbred Charities of America. Both are groups that deal with finding homes for these horses that generally aren't super popular because, oh my gosh, what, do I ha- what am I going to do with a horse that doesn't really know how to be ridden as a normal horse, has only ever raced, and might have some soundness issues. But retired racehorses really do make great riding companions. I've worked with dozens of them. A lot of the horses you see in certain sports in the Olympics, even in eventing are retired racehorses. So they can really go on to have great careers. But the Thoroughbred Charities of America in particular does something called a TB makeover, where um, trainers will get usually 30 days to take a horse fresh off the track, doesn't know anything, and then compete it in some other discipline and show how much they've trained it and how much they've grown. So these organizations do some really cool things, working with a lot of different local chapters and small independent charities. Um, And it's a great way to support the horse community in your area. That sounds fantastic. Do they have a website? (laughs) I didn't actually write down a website, but (laughs) you can just look up Retired Racehorse Project and thoroughbred charities of america and you will find them (laughs) that's okay we'll we'll get we'll get links for the post okay well that sounds like a really fantastic charity to look into if you care about horses and if like alexis you never you know truly grew out of your horse stage (laughs) i never had one (laughs) but yeah i'm the weird i'm the weird horse girl from your middle school but 20 years later you know still doing it (laughs) (laughs) you're living your best life that's really what it is So thank you guys for sitting with us through many horse facts. And um, next time we'll be back with the miracle job and the bank shot job. Thank you.